we are one church in more than one location. Want to welcome all of our church family, the locations all throughout the Metroplex, our real life campuses, Austin all the way down to Corpus Christi, and those connecting over the internet. Rockwall, would you help me welcome your church family today? We're glad everyone is here with us. Chances are you have said the phrase of the series that we started last week. You've probably said it. If you haven't said it, you've heard it, but you probably texted it, tweeted it, or posted it. The struggle is real. As a matter of fact, uh, David Bowie fans definitely heard it because uh, he passed away this month and already made the front cover of Time Magazine. Pretty crazy. Um, Don't you wish you could find pants like that? Anyway, 18 pages of an article about him taking down the Berlin Wall, all kinds of things. But what's interesting is his wife said the day before he passed away this month, his wife tweeted, the struggle is real. As a matter of fact, that wasn't the entire tweet. The entire tweet was, the struggle is real, and so is God. That's what this series is all about, because we're getting real about struggles. And aren't you thankful for a church that just gets real, that talks about things that some churches don't talk about, unfortunately, but I'm so thankful for a pastor who last week started this whole series off talking about depression, Uh, When I grew up in church, I I always heard Christians don't get depressed. I'm thankful for Pastor Steve reminding us that just like Elijah, we're gonna struggle with that. One out of 10 of us really will. All of us will have some extended time of sadness. That's how this series is gonna go. We're gonna talk about struggles, but we're also gonna realize that not only is the struggle real, God's real. God meets us in the struggle. He doesn't want you to stay in the struggle. He doesn't abandon you when you struggle. And when he meets you in that struggle, he helps you overcome the struggle and become all he wants you to be. And just like Elijah struggled with depression, today we're gonna see that even Abraham, a great man of faith, struggled at times with doubt. And so would you take out a Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 17? If you don't have a Bible, you can turn to the worship guide at whatever campus you're on, and our key text will be there. But Genesis chapter 17 is where we'll be in just a second. We're looking at this great man of faith, and all through the scripture, he's called a man of faith, but we're going to see how he, even he struggles with doubt. Now, while you're finding that first book in the Bible, let me just remind you that Genesis chapter 12 tells us that God came to Abram, at that time his name was Abram, and says, You're gonna be the father of a great nation. All you have to do is leave everything familiar, everything you're comfortable with, and go to a land that you don't even know about, and it'll be great. I'm gonna bless you, and you're gonna be a blessing. Doesn't that sound like a great dream? What a great vision. Abram stepped out in faith, and by the way, in Genesis chapter 12, he's 75 years old. As a 75-year-old man, he steps out in faith, leaves everything that's comfortable, everything he knows, all the familiar, and he sets out to a land he'd never seen before, and he and his wife trust God. And he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which literally means the father of many nations, the father of multitudes. There's just one problem with that. He doesn't have any kids. So can you imagine meeting Abraham? Hey, what's your name? My name is the father of many nations. Really? How many kids do you have? Zero. Can you sense how doubt could possibly set in? I don't know if you quite relate to Abraham because you don't realize just how important names are back then. They're important now. Let me just give you a for instance. Let's go with this guy's name. This guy's name is Bolt. 
Now that name makes sense. He's named after a lightning bolt. He's the fastest man in the world according to the last two Olympics. This guy can run 100 meters in less than 10 seconds. That's fast. What's your name? My name's Bolt. Cool name. You can be named Bolt. Now if this guy said his name was Bolt, that would be a problem. That's when you have to say, hey, you know what? I'm not gonna judge, but you probably wanna change your name. What's your name? My name's Bolt. No, it's not. Your name's not Bolt, man. You're not, you're not a lightning bolt. You're not even a partly cloudy with a chance of rain, bro. You, you just need to change your name. Uh, you know, for instance, there's a guy's name. If you're a wrestling fan, this guy's name is Crush. That's kind of a cool name. You know, Crush. Looks like he could crush something. So, hey, what's your name? My name's Crush. Cool, I'm not gonna argue with you. <laughs> you can call yourself whatever you want. Your name's Crush, you crush things, cool. Now if this guy said his name was Crush, that would be a problem. It's cute, what's your name? My name's Crush, no it's not. Yes it is, no it's not. You couldn't even crush an empty water bottle. You need to change your name. You see, when you came up to Abraham and said, hey, what's your name? My name's Abraham, I'm the father of many nations. How many kids you have, zero? You need to change your name. Your name, that's, that's funny. This is, you can see how the doubt could build up. And when you go from Genesis chapter 12 where you first meet Abram all the way to Genesis chapter 17 and it's been 25 years since he and his wife left everything familiar and they still don't have a child and God meets them as the doubt continues to well up in this man of faith. So let's pick up the story in Genesis 17 beginning in verse 15. It says, then God said to Abraham regarding Sarah, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give her a son. I'll give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly. And she will become, here's her name change, the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Don't you wish you could have a rock solid faith like Abraham who never wavered and got the promises of God and kept stepping out? Well, let's just see what his response is. Look at verse 17. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. Another word for disbelief, doubt. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought, and how can Sarah have a baby? She's 90 years old. Abraham gets this news and he says, this has got to be a joke. I mean, I'm old and I love my wife and everything, but she's old. And he starts to struggle. But one page over in Genesis chapter 18, Sarah hears the news and doubt sets in for her too. Look at her response. Sarah laughed in verse 12 silently. A woman my age have a baby? She scoffed to herself. And with a husband as old as mine? You see, Abraham looks at her and says, you're old. You know, she looks at him and says, well, you're ancient. How can we trust God with this? And you may say, well, wait a minute, they both laugh. That means they're in a good mood, right? No. You know why they're laughing? They're out of tears. You ever been there? You ever been in a season of life where one thing after another bad happens and it just keeps stacking up and you cry yourself to sleep and then the tears come again and they come again but nothing changes, it doesn't seem to get better and you keep crying until you're just out of tears and then all of a sudden you just... You just have to laugh and go, God, you've got to be kidding me, and doubt sets in. Now, I'm gonna ask a question for all of our campuses about doubt, and I'm gonna ask you if you've ever doubted, but don't raise your hand yet. Let's just look at what's happening with Abraham and Sarah, what questions are going through their minds over these 25 years of all these promises that aren't delivered yet. 
You see, these questions maybe you can relate to because here's one, how can I be sure of this? Abraham says, you know, how can I be sure? I mean, I know that God's promised this, but it's not adding up in my calculator. It doesn't make analytical sense. How can I be sure? And doubt starts to sink in and it moves to, from that question to, does God really care about me? I mean, I know that God loves us, but if God loved us, would this really be happening? If God really cared, would, would I be going through this right now? And that sinks into this question, why? Why me? Why now? Why us? You know, haven't you ever wanted to ask God, like, God, why not them? Down the street, they haven't been to church in five years. Why not them, Lord? Why me? Why now? And all of a sudden, that question sinks into another one, and that is, where are you in all this, Lord? God, I just feel like my prayers aren't going above the ceiling. I just feel so alone. I feel so isolated. I don't feel like you're with me. How could you be? It hurts so much. And then that question spirals into, God, can I really trust you with everything? Because I, I want to, but if I can't trust you with this, and this is so painful, how can I trust you with other things? And doubt starts to sink in. I'm gonna ask you a question if you've ever doubted. Before I do, just think about it. Has it ever happened to you where you just were walking, and maybe you've been walking in faith, but you just start doubting. Maybe something difficult happens. And when that difficulty comes, it, it starts to sink in. And you just wonder if God's really there. Maybe you've doubted because when you went off to college and some philosophy professors and others got you to question and you started wondering, you know, what if the Bible isn't true? You ever doubted if you're really even a Christian? Maybe something happens and it hurts so bad that you just wonder, where is God in all of this? I don't think he cares about me. I'm wondering if my prayers are even going above the ceiling. Maybe you're the one that messed up and you messed up so much that you wonder, can God still love me? But whatever reason you've doubted and whatever season it's come, here's the question, now it's time to be real. Has anyone in this place and listen to me online at any campus ever struggled with doubt at least once in your life? Would you raise your hand if you have? You ever struggled with doubt? Struggle's real. We all struggle. Abraham, Abraham struggled. Now here's the good news about struggling with doubt. Abraham struggled with doubt, but make sure you understand, he didn't get stuck there. Abraham struggled with doubt, but he didn't snuggle with doubt. Doubt is not a snuggly. You don't put doubt on and say, oh, I'm just gonna doubt for a while. This will really help me feel warm. No, it won't. It'll make your heart cold and it will really destroy everything in your life. You see, Abraham wrestled with doubt, but he didn't rest on doubt. Doubt is not a float that you lie down on and you just see, I wonder where this is gonna drift me to. It's gonna drift you over a waterfall called destruction and it's really gonna ruin your life. Doubt is something we all struggle with but here's the good news about it. Abraham teaches us that it's not a dead-end road, that we can actually move from it. And here's the good news. If you're taking notes, you can write it down, but Abraham teaches us four things that are good news about doubt. First of all, we learn from Abraham's life that doubt doesn't disqualify me. Doubt doesn't disqualify me. You see, a lot of times I think we're really, uh, we don't wanna be honest about doubt because surely we shouldn't doubt we're Christians, right? I mean, didn't you feel a little guilty raising your hand and saying, yes, I doubt? It's like, I'm not supposed to do that, right? And I think it's because we've heard this lie, this voice in our minds that says, if you doubt, you're out. God's looking for people who just peg out on faith, never struggle, never question, never waver, never stumble, and he's looking for super Christians, and if you ever doubt, 
then you're out. God's gonna sideline you forever. Abraham teaches us that's not true. He laughs here. Sarah scoffs, and they struggle with disbelief, but they're not out of God's plan. You see, neither are you. Think about this. The disciples following Jesus, did they doubt? Of course they did. All the way through the Gospels, it gets real about their doubt. Remember the story one time, Jesus told the disciples, go across the Sea of Galilee, and so he put them in the boat. They were seasoned fishermen. They knew the waters, and they went out confidently across the, the, the sea there. And remember, the storm came up, and waves started bashing against the ship, and they started really questioning why, what's going on? Where is Jesus? And remember, Jesus came walking on the water. And as Jesus was walking on the water, Peter called out to him and said, Jesus, if that's you, let me come out to you. What a bold, courageous thing to do. Like Abraham steps out in faith, Peter also steps out in faith. This is how the book of Matthew says it. In Matthew 14, it says, Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Can you imagine what amazing faith? Look at this, but then he saw the wind. Uh Uh-oh, he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, here's shortest prayer in the Bible, Lord, save me. What happened to Peter? What happened to Peter is what happened to Abraham is what happens to us. You see, what happened to Peter is he got out and he was stepping out in faith. You ever stepped out in faith? You ever believed God for great things, taken a risk, been courageous, trusted in him? But what happens? We start looking at the waves. We start looking at other things. We get distracted and we don't focus on Jesus and what happens? We start analytically putting this in our calculator and say, wait a minute, humans can't walk on water. <laughs> wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. And he starts looking at the way, he starts to sink. Doubt causes your heart to sink. But I love this. When Peter says, Jesus, will you help me in this doubt? Will you help me as I sink here? Jesus doesn't look over at him and say, seriously? You're gonna doubt me right now? I'm looking for disciples who never waver, who never sink by Slosh, 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 and walks off and leaves Peter there. I'm just so thankful that we don't have a savior like that. He looks at Peter struggling, and look at what the scripture says. As soon as Peter says, can you help me with my doubt? I'm sinking. Immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand and caught Peter. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And I love this because Jesus gives him the sermon after the rescue, you see, you don't look at someone who's doubting and saying, what's up, why are you doing? He, he pulls Peter out, and once they're on solid ground again, and he's got that faith again, and he knows Jesus' faithfulness, then he goes, why would you ever doubt? I'm always here. I've always got you. You see, Jesus always believes in us and is always there for us. I've got a book in my office. I love the title of it. The title of it is God Believes in Atheists. You see, even when you don't believe in God, he's believing in you, and your doubt doesn't disqualify you. Here's some more good news from Abraham's life. Not only does doubt not disqualify me, but God meets me in my doubts. He will show up in my doubt. Abraham is struggling after 25 years of following a promise he hasn't seen with his eyes yet, but God still meets him there, and God will meet you in your doubts. Go back to the disciples again. Jesus had 12 disciples. One of them was named Thomas. Thomas's nickname was Doubting Thomas. Can you imagine that being your nickname? Hey, what's your name? Doubt. Watch out, here comes Doubt. <laughs> I mean, that's his name. Thomas doubted, he struggled. If you look through the Gospels, he was always questioning what was going on. How can this work, and are you sure about this? After Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he started to appear to the disciples, and they got so excited about the good news of the resurrection, and they told Thomas, Thomas, Jesus is alive. Thomas says, no, he isn't. He doubted. 
And remember, they got into a room together and, and it, they were all in this room. And what I love about this room is it pictures what I believe a life group is supposed to look like. Life groups are filled with people who have a strong faith at the time and people who are struggling at the time. And they all help each other out. You see, I wanna encourage you to get into a life group. And say, well, I'm really struggling. I'm on a journey. I've got questions. I don't know if I'm there yet. Perfect time to get in a life group. Thomas doubted, but he didn't let it keep him from community because doubt usually tries to isolate you. Thomas stays in there. What I also love about the disciples is, is they don't push Thomas out because he doubts. They don't say, hey, this is exclusive. Just this is, I love this about our church. Life groups accept people where you are and help you on your journey to get where God wants you to go. They said, Thomas, come on in. We know you're struggling. We know you're doubting. Why do I wanna be in a life group? Because when I'm struggling, someone else can tell me the story of how Jesus helped them in their struggle. It helps me get out of doubt. You see, if you look in the scriptures and, and, and what happens to Thomas, it's just amazing because Jesus appears in John chapter 20 into the room and look at what Jesus said to Thomas. He said to Thomas, Put your finger here, you see my hands? Reach out your hand, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe, powerful. And I love what happens here, and I wanna encourage you, if you're doubting today, Jesus is not scared of your doubt. God is not afraid of your questions, but Jesus is so much in love with you, he comes and meets you in your doubt because he knows what doubt does to you. It destroys you, he wants you to live. He wants you to have life, he wants you to have hope. And Jesus comes to Thomas and says, I'm not afraid of your doubt, hey, here's my hands, you wanna, Put your hand here and touch the scars that are for you. You wanna touch the side where the soldiers thrust that spear? Come here, Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. Live. Now, love what Thomas decides to do. The very next verse, Thomas said to Jesus, here's the decision, you are my Lord and you are my God. And I'm hoping that's the decision you come to today. If you're here today and you're struggling, you're wrestling, you're doubting, you're questioning, I hope you realize that you're not here by accident, that, that God brought you here and you can have an encounter today and decide, you know what? I'm gonna decide that Jesus is my Lord and my God and I'm gonna follow him and this is gonna be that moment for me to stop doubting and really believe. Abraham was a strong man of faith, but he struggled with doubt, but that didn't disqualify him. And God showed up in those doubts, but he shows us how to get out of doubt. He tells us this third piece of good news. You see, when you're doubting, what you wanna do is you wanna look for and claim God's promises. Abraham held on to the promises of God and he chose to put his faith in those promises. Faith is like traction to doubt. It gets you out of doubt. It's like snow tires on a cold, wintry day when there's a lot of snow. You just put faith on and all of a sudden it gets you out of that doubt you're stuck in because doubt wants you to give up, but faith says we're never gonna give up. Faith keeps you moving forward and you trust God's promises. Here's how Hebrews puts it about Abraham. I want you guys at all of our campuses, let's say the first two words together. What are the first two words here? Say it with me. By faith. Faith is like traction. Watch this. Abraham, by faith, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he went. He obeyed and he went. Even though he didn't know where he was going. And so from this one man, and he is good as dead. The Bible has a sense of humor. Abraham was so old, he was as good as dead. But God still used him, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Do you see what happened in Abraham's life? All of a sudden, Abraham, by faith, moves because of God's promises into a place where God can really bless him. You see, Abraham, what's your name? My name is the father of many nations. Do you have any kids? No, not yet, but I'm going to. 
I'm gonna go to a land God's gonna show me. Do you know where that land is? No, but I'm heading there. Do you see how strong faith is and what it can do? And how different are we than Abraham? We're the same. Just think about it. Anyone here today who is a Christian, you believe in Jesus Christ by grace, through faith, you have put your hope in Jesus Christ and you are a Christ one. You've taken on that name. Hey, what's your name? My name's Christian. Oh, you're one of those Christians? Yeah, what's your name? I'm a Christian. You mean you believe the Bible? Yes. Really? You mean you actually believe that you can go help people and you should like give and help people like people who lost their homes in the tornadoes and Rowlett and Garland? They can't pay you back, but you should still help them? Yes. You actually believe you serve people and, and help people like homeless people in the community that, that you should do that even though they can't pay you back? Shouldn't you just hold on to all your stuff? No, no, you know, I believe, I believe that. You believe you should have peace even though there's a lot of difficulty out there? Even when you have a terminal illness, are you telling me that you still have hope? Yes, I'm telling you that. Are you telling me that as Christians around the world are being persecuted and people today are actually asked in places like Indonesia, are you a Christian? And they say yes and they're killed because of their testimony. You're saying that's how strong your faith is? You're one of those Christ ones? Yes. You see, it seems crazy because have you ever seen heaven? No. You ever seen Jesus physically? No. Well, then why would your name be Christian? Unless it is all true. Unless by faith I believe. Just like the song we sang earlier in the service. You see, if I decide by faith to believe God's promises, all of a sudden it becomes traction because I believe. I believe the Bible is true. I believe I believe that there's more to life than accumulating things. I believe. I believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. I believe. I believe it's more blessed to serve others than to be served. I believe. I believe there's power in loving your neighbor and being kind to those even who are not kind to you. I believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died on a cross. He was buried. And he came back to life. I believe. I believe that one day I will go to heaven. And it will be a place, an amazing home of those who have faith. No sorrow. No tears. No pain. No suffering. And I will see Jesus face to face. And my faith will be sight because I believe. I believe. You see how faith can start giving you traction? Yes, I believe. I believe in the promises of God. And let me just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there are 3,000 promises in this book. So happy hunting. When you find them, you claim them. Yes, I believe. I believe. And when you're doubting, choose faith in those promises. And here's the bottom line. When you're doubting, choose hope in someone greater than you. Abraham chose hope. He said, listen, I, don't, I haven't seen the land yet. I don't have any children yet. But I believe. I believe. And my hope is in someone greater. My hope is in someone I can't see. But even when I feel hopeless, I'm going to still have hope. You see, I believe in a church our size, there's someone listening to me today and you just feel like there's not any hope. You don't even know how you got in here today. Life just seems very hopeless right now. Maybe it's because of a relationship. Maybe it's because of a situation. Maybe it's because of your job. Maybe it's because of a circumstance or something else is going on, but you just feel pretty hopeless. Maybe you feel like, man, I'm just one accident after another. My life is so messed up, I don't know how to get from where I am to where God wants me to be. I just feel like there's no hope. Abraham gives all of us hope in his story because I love how Romans puts it. In Romans chapter four, verse 18, it says, 
Against all hope. Hey, there's no hope, Abraham. Yes, there is. Against all hope, Abraham found hope. Abraham, in hope, believed, and so he became his name. The father of many nations became the father of many nations, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Abraham believed in someone greater and had hope in someone he couldn't see but knew he could trust. Hope is everything. You see, today you can say, well, I don't believe everything that you believe. That's fine. You're welcome here. We accept you here. We want you to just keep coming here. But my question to you today is, and to all of us, even followers of Christ, is where is your hope? Because even as Christians, what can happen is, is we start putting our hope in things besides God, and then we start trying to realize, why are we doubting? It's because our hope is in something besides him. Because if you can answer the question, where is your hope, then you can figure out why you're doubting so much. Because where is your hope? If you decide today that you're not gonna put your hope in Jesus Christ, then where is your hope? You have options, not very good ones, but you can say, oh, my hope is in my house. My, my house is great. Have I told you about my house? It has really cool rooms. It's my wife and I's dream house, and we just did this in the kitchen. We have a great house. Our house is our hope. Well, if your house is your hope and then you lose your house, let's just say hypothetically a tornado comes through and you don't have a house anymore, like happened to so many families in Rowlett, Garland, Waxahachie in this area. If your hope is in your house, you don't have a house, you don't have any hope. You say, no, 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 my hope is not in my house. My hope is in my job. My job is where my hope is. Have I told you about my job? My job's pretty amazing. We're doing so well, this quarter was so incredible and the production is up and I just can't wait. I think I'm about to be in six figures and it's just gonna be an amazing year this year. My job is my hope. Well, what's gonna happen when you lose the job, which people do all the time, whether you get fired, downsized, or they stop buying what you're producing and all of a sudden you don't have a job. If your job is your hope and you lose your job, then you lost your hope. So no, 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 my, my hope is not in my job. My hope is in... This relationship, have I told you about this person? They're so wonderful. They're always a good listener. They say the right things. They're so patient with me. They're always there when I need them. That means you've known them for 30 minutes, by the way. That's what that means. Uh, if I told you about this person, they're so great. They're so incredible. What happens when that person proves they're human? What happens when they let you down? What happens when they walk away, when they break up, when all of a sudden they put on Facebook, we're not best friends anymore? If your hope is in any human relationship and that relationship goes away for whatever reason, all of a sudden you don't have any hope. So no, no, my hope is not in relationships. My hope is in my health. Have you noticed how healthy I am? I'm a specimen of health. I can run fast and I work out all the time and I eat healthy. I even drink broccoli shakes for breakfast. I am so healthy. My hope is in my health. Well, if your hope is in your health, then what's gonna happen one day when you go to the doctor and the doctor says, wow, your heart is healthy, but we found this spot right here and I'm gonna guess you probably have about six months. You see, if your hope is in your health and all of a sudden you lose your health, then where's your hope? Now, please don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with houses or cars or jobs or relationships. There's nothing wrong with being healthy. I think there is something wrong with broccoli shakes for breakfast. But otherwise, there's nothing wrong with any of those things unless that's where your hope is. 
You see, if you're doubting right now, it just might be that your hope is not anchored to something that doesn't move, change, and is always faithful. His name is Jesus. Hope is what we all need, and hope is what helped Abraham really move from doubt to a place where God could fulfill the promises he had for him. You see, I love this, and you may ask, well, why is this in the Bible? I don't know, but this is really fun. If you look for the word hope in the Bible, and you look all the way in the Old Testament, the word hope appears in the Old Testament 95 times. It's amazing. The Bible is full of hope. 95 times you see the word hope. If you look in the New Testament, which is much shorter than the Old Testament, the word hope appears 85 times. Now, for all my math whizzes out there, what is 95 plus 85? What is that number? 180, very good. I love what hope does. Watch this. Hope helps you take a 180 from doubt. Here's how it works. You see, if you're walking toward doubt, the question you're walking toward is why? Why me? Why us? Why now? Why this, time? this doesn't make any sense? And it just keeps you going toward a dead-end road that isolates you and you feel all alone because doubt leads with the question why and why is just literally a black hole. Because I want you to know today, I don't know why. I don't know why they did that to you. I don't know why you're suffering. I don't know why that pain happened. I don't know why this is going on. But I do know what hope can do. Hope moves me from the question why, which is the lead question for doubt, and it hinges me, and all of a sudden I'm not asking why anymore. Hope says, no, no, don't ask why, because we're not gonna know that yet, but we are gonna know who. I'm gonna turn to who, who I'm gonna trust, who I'm gonna believe, who I know can carry me through this, who I know can deliver me, who I know I can put my hope in, who I know is faithful, who I know is a good father. His name is Jesus. Hope hinges me. Yeah, you can give that a round of applause. Hope is the hinge. So you may say today, well, I love it. I love the analogy, going toward why. I need to turn toward who. Who am I gonna trust? That's what Abraham did. But does it really work? Yes, it does. Even in very difficult times, which some of us are feeling. I love the true story of a guy named Horatio Spafford. He was a man who lived last century, and he was a very successful businessman and attorney and owned a lot of downtown Chicago. And he was very successful, but a strong Christian and supported his church. He tithed and gave above that to the church. He served in the church. He supported his pastor. His pastor happened to be Dwight L. Moody, the former, you know, like kind of like Billy Graham of last century. And everything was going great for him. And you say, of course it is. He's a man of faith. And, and people of faith don't doubt or struggle. Well, true story, Horatio, he had a wife and a, uh, three daughters and a son. He got word from his wife to come home and his son had gotten ill. And within two weeks, his son had passed away. The hardest funeral for me to do as a pastor is the pastor of children looking in the eyes of parents. This is what he went through. And you can see the door of doubt kind of crack a little bit in his life. A month after he lost his son, this strong Christian businessman of faith experienced what historians call the Great Chicago Fire. And it destroyed all of downtown Chicago and this man lost everything in his portfolio in one night. He went from wealthy to zero. This man in 30 days had lost his son and all of his wealth. His pastor came to him to minister to him and said, listen, you really need to get a change of scenery. Why don't you come with me on a mission trip? Typical pastor, right? Let me take your mind off that pain. Here we go. Go on a mission trip with me. Let's go to London and let's tell people about Jesus. And and, and Dwight L. Moody got on a boat and he went that way. And, And Horatio said, listen, pastor, I'm coming with you, my wife and my three daughters. We're gonna come. 
And right before he got on the boat, he got a business opportunity and he let his wife and three daughters go ahead and he said, I'll catch the next boat. I promise I'll be right behind you. I'll see you in a couple of days. And then just a few days later, he got a telegram from his wife. And, and, and news moves slow, but when he got the news, basically, apparently what happened is, is the boat that his wife and three kids were on was hit by another ship and it sunk. And his wife and many others survived, but the three daughters were unable to make it. And the telegram just simply said, our daughters are gone. And the, and, the, and the telegram said, please come to London. Our pastor's waiting for us and we're gonna have the funeral here. And this man, who was really successful, a great man of faith, gets on this ship and all of a sudden, all of his business gone, his family's in disarray and all of this loss. And on that boat, you can't make this stuff up. This man is going straight toward doubt. Can you feel it? Why? Why me? Why now? Why us? God, where are you in all this? Do you really care? And hope hinged him, and all of a sudden he said, I'm gonna ask who? Who am I gonna trust right now? Who am I gonna trust through this doubt? And he penned the famous words to the hymn that we know as it is well with my soul. When sorrow like sea billows roll, peace like a river attendeth my soul. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. This man hinged on hope, and all of a sudden he wrote another line. Lord, haste the day when my faith will be sight. But until then, Lord, it is well, it is well with my soul. And this man, in the darkness of despair, just like Abraham, just like Thomas, just like Peter, just like all of us, found that hope is powerful enough to turn you toward the who. There is someone greater than all your questions and someone greater than all your struggles and someone who's not afraid of our doubt but meets us there and helps us overcome it. Jeremiah says it this way in his time of pain and grief in the scriptures and he says, Sovereign Lord, I turn toward the who. I don't know why our people are going through this but you've made the heavens and the earth. Your great power and your outstretched arm have done this. And would you read this last line with me? Let's say this together. Nothing is too hard for you. Would you pray with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed and across the internet and campuses today, if you're here and you've been questioning and wondering and seeking, maybe this will be your moment to trust in Jesus Christ. And maybe like Thomas, take those doubts to the one who's not afraid of them and loves you and has a plan for your life. His name is Jesus. And I would ask you by faith right now in this still moment to trust him, to whisper something like this, Jesus, I need you. He'll hear you. By faith, just in your heart, just say something like this, Jesus, as best I know how, I ask you to forgive me. And right now, be my savior and be my Lord. I will follow you the rest of my life. And if you just whispered that prayer, you just walk out of here with a whole 180 degree turn that everyone at this church can experience and so many people do each week, you walk out of here with hope. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, it's my privilege to pray for us to be instruments of that hope, even in a day and an age and a season of doubt. Lord, thank you so much for how real the Bible is. And Father, the struggle, we can all relate to it. But I ask that right now, wherever anyone is, maybe we're coming out of a struggle, going into one, or right in the thick of the storm, that, Father, we would hold on to our name. We are Christians. We do belong to someone we can't see, but we know you are here. And I pray, Lord, that our faith 
Our faith in your promises and our hope in you is so contagious this week that everyone sees it in our homes, in our workplaces, in our community, and everywhere we go. Father, may we leave this place with the hope and the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, for he is the one who has given us that hope, and we ask all this in his name. And everyone said, amen. Let's give God a hand for his hope and his goodness and his grace.